1: Welcome to Radio Maria Canada's The Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biese, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and everyone here at Radio Maria Canada. Thank you for joining us. We have a great show coming up for you, something I know you will enjoy. Uh, Just before that, some housekeeping issues. We would love for you to keep up to date and informed about things going on at the Health Hub by following us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. And our email address is thh at radiomaria.ca if you'd like to get a hold of us through that method. Please subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our individual podcasts on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca and on my website, which is kathybiase.com. Today's show was taped, but it was, I have to tell you, a lot of fun speaking with Jessie Cancer. She is the author of her new book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, Healing, Chilling. And living with the Downtaging. She's funny, comical, engaging. I think you're really going to enjoy this show. Uh, Jesse was born in the Soviet Union, and at the age of eight, she emigrated with her family to Brooklyn. She is a writer and former reporter and actress. Her work has appeared in The Washington Post, New York Daily News, Wall Street Journal, The Independent, The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Huffington Post, Ravishly, and Romper. Jessie lives with her two daughters and husband in Dobbs Ferry, New York. Great, entertaining interview. You're going to really enjoy it. We talk about her new book. We talk about... Uh, the Dao Te Ching and how it is an inspiration to Jesse and how this is pulled through in her new book. Some of the uh, hot topics are why it's important to embrace stillness in order to move forward. How can the 6th century BC Dao Te Ching be relevant for us today? And how can losing yourself, your identity, actually be an invitation for change, Please stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk to Jesse Cancer.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome
1: back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show with Jesse is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC on all locations. Jesse, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Kathy, thank you so much for having me. And I know this show is going to be taped, you know, well and past it, but I just wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful holiday.
2: Thank you. It was lovely to have a break and to do nothing, which is
1: is also the title of my book. book. Yes, right. Like, that's what the show's about. (laughs) So let's see where that goes. Let's do nothing. eh? But okay, so such an interesting history. I mean, we got to find out about you because really it's the genesis of why this book started. Right. So tell us about you.
2: Absolutely. So, as I mentioned, my book is called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. And it's, of course, a bit of tongue in cheek. uh, And it's based on my experiences with the teachings of the Tao Te Ching, which is an ancient spiritual philosophy that I needed very badly. And uh, this is because... I was an immigrant. Actually, I came to America as a refugee uh, when I was eight years old from the former Soviet Union. It was the Soviet Union back then. And it was a very difficult journey. We had to go through multiple other countries before we were allowed. We were granted asylum. And uh, there was a big loss of identity that occurred for me. And I fell in love with America. And I fell in love with the Western way of being very quickly, the supermarkets, the choices. And I often say it was like going from black and white to Technicolor. Mm. It, was, uh, it was jarring, let's just say. And I was not welcomed at first. Uh, this was right in the heels of the Cold War. Kids were mean. Kids can be mean any day. We know this. Um, they can be lovely and they can be mean. And in my case... It was a less than a welcoming atmosphere, and I quickly changed my name. My name was Asia. I changed it to Jesse, and I changed a lot of things about myself to fit in. I kind of took on a persona that I knew would work for me socially and I thought would make my life easier. However, when you do give up parts of yourself, they come back to haunt you later, and I ended up with an eating disorder, depression, depression all sorts of struggles that I needed to find my way out of. And that's where the teachings of the Tao Te Ching came in. And I used them for years and I used them once again as a mom. And then when COVID hit, they helped me figure out this new reality. So I wanted to present them in my book for other people to use as well.
1: Jesse, is it a journey backward, a journey forward or a present journey for you?
2: It is definitely a present or a timeless journey for me. And funny enough, the Tao Te Ching often talks about um, that we human beings get so caught up in the future and planning and we forget to just be here now. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant reminder. Uh, the These teachings were life changing for me because they constantly brought me back to where are you now and what do you actually need? And when we get to those basic questions, it's so much less than we think.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I heard, I heard that actually just yesterday. You know, look inside. It, it, do you think that that's where the the, the disjointedness came from? You were, you were I, content maybe in Russia and here it was just a plethora of stuff and it was hard to reconcile the two worlds?
2: Yes, and, and in fairness, You know, I was a child in Russia and I had my home and my stability and, you know, my home, though, if you look back on it, it was a it was a communal apartment with four families living in one place. And, you know, none of it was was anything close to the, the stuff that's available here. But a child doesn't know that. And I guess it was more the problem for me was just my whole reality kind of ripped away from me. And the reality changed so drastically. And back then, and definitely in my culture, nobody uh, thought about child psychology.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and nobody talked to the kids as to how they're doing. You kind of just went with the flows and went with the punches. Now, this is not to say growing up is hard anywhere. And it might have been hard for me. There it, it definitely would have been with the limitations, especially now that that are there. I think. Honestly, for sensitive people, and I consider myself an empath, I think, I think it's always challenging in today's world, and that's why I think this book will help so many people.
1: Why do you think the the Tao gripped you so hard, and what made you actually pick the book up? It's not you know on the on the shelf that it's everyday reading.
2: No, and I that's why I think, and I I try to remind folks as well that your struggles and hardships are also presenting you with gifts. And I think that because I was lost for a long time, I was a searcher. I became a searcher, like a real spiritual searcher. I had all the best-selling self-help books. And yes, I had the more obscure ones and the ones that perhaps people had forgotten about, like the Tao Te Ching, which comes from 6th century BC. So it's been around, it's actually the second most translated book in the world after the Bible. And I had all, I had a lot of books and a lot of sources of information because I knew I needed them. I mean, I was bulimic at the time and so distraught. And then Shortly after I graduated college, I got into a major car accident. My body was broken, my spirit was broken, and there I was on the bathroom floor again. And I just kind of reached for what was near my bedside table. And it was um, it was this tiny pocket-sized Te Ching, and it was very simple. The Dao De Ching itself is very simple in the way it presents these teachings, but then it gives you a lot to think about. So I would read a verse and I would go for a walk and it was, you know, even if it was freezing out or just walk and think about it. And verses that, you know, the, the simplicity of them really would stay with me. So for example, one line says, open yourself to the Tao. And the Tao, by the way, translates as the way. Then trust your natural responses, and everything will fall into place. And so, it kept telling me to let go, let go, let go of all the things you think you need so badly. Let go of all the things you want to change, and just to be and see what happens.
1: And that's what I began to do. Was it a hard transformation trying to do this? No, I think um,
2: I think it was hard to to struggle the way I was struggling. The transformation, and I hope that my book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, will do the same thing. It brings ease into your life. The Tao brings ease. It's an ease of thinking and an ease of being. So that's why the joke of Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, it's, it's, it's a joke, but it's also true. It's this idea that we do too much, think too much, want too much. And if we step back on all of those facets, life becomes easier.
1: Do you think that we have sort of a twisted or misguided view of happiness and where to search for it?
2: I really believe most people live lives of quiet desperation. Mm -hmm. I see it all around me. I see it with those close to me and strangers in the store, and I have to refrain from screaming at the top of my lungs that it doesn't have to be this way. If folks would just be able to, and this is what took me a long time to do as well, it's, it's the return for all of us. If you're able to block out the messages that are external and the voices that are not your own and just focus on your own inner truth and connect with that, everything will get better. But a lot of times our happiness is based on external messaging, like if I have this house, this car, this job, whatever it is, then I will reach success, then I will reach happiness. And there's a funny line from the Tao that says, success is as dangerous as failure. The problem is when we're focusing on external things to make us happy, when we get there, wherever you go, there you are, you know, you'll still have that void within yourself.
1: How how does this, okay, you have two daughters, uh, we know about that. What point, what period of your life did you find the doubt and that it really started to internalize and make the shift in your life? Was it before you became a parent?
2: Yes. Yes, it was before. And in fact, I credit my successful family life to having connected with myself first and having kind of... um, Reconnected and reconnected the old me, the, you know, I call it Asia, the one that came here from Russia and was this person. And then I changed myself. And when I found the true me beyond all the labels and titles, and I identified what it is that I wanted in life, then I was able to create a relationship, a good relationship with the right person for me, build a family, build a life. Before that, I was a mess and my personal life was a mess. And uh, there's a chapter in in the book called Humiliating Love Story, because a lot of my love stories were humiliating before I figured stuff out for myself, not based on someone else's feelings for me.
1: What push? It, it's interesting to me because, you know, whenever like for me, I had an illness and, and everyone has their story. But is this this is your first book or is this? Yeah, is this, this, is okay. this is a huge undertaking, I would assume, because I think anybody who writes a book is is just it's a fantastic accomplishment why were you pushed? What made what was that inner push for you to write the book? Was it a continuation of your journey? Or was this just an inner feeling that, you know what, I, I need to get this out to people? And it's a kind of a two-part question. And does it need to be the DAO, or is it can it be something else that inspires you? Maybe your book? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Kathy.
2: Um, so what I love about the DAO, which translates as the way, is it, it it states several times within within the manuscript itself that everyone has their own Tao. Everyone has their own way. There is no one way. This is not the kind of book that tells you do A, B, and C, and then you're good. It's it's about searching for your own truth and your own way. So of course, it could be other things. And in fact, in my book. Um, even though it's called don't just sit there do nothing, healing, chilling, and living with the Tao De Ching, it's because you can't really name a book Healing, Living, and Chilling with the Tao De Ching and with the spiritual teachings of Abraham. And with I, I put a lot of information in there that's not just the Tao. The Tao offers a sort of framework. Like, you know, this the first verse is about understanding our identity beyond labels as an example. And then I tell a story about that. But the truth is, yes, uh, spiritual truth. Honestly when you come down to the to to just the basic truth of what any teaching is telling us they're kind of all the same it's always about connecting with a power that's both within you and greater than you and uh, simplifying your desires and simplifying all those external human machinations that make us you know that that drive us crazy sometimes and connecting with this allness, this oneness, this love. So I think I honestly think all spiritual teachings and religions
1: probably at their base are telling us the same thing. And that's why they've endured for centuries. I'm assuming there's a, there's a, a constant message in, in these books, scriptures, texts, whatever you want to label them that, you know, for you is resonating in 2020 2021 and, and the years before it's it's an awesome idea that a book can be so impactful uh, so 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 many years after it's written is there in the in the is there a favorite part or is there something that you continue to come back to when you find things a little bit out of control Yes, and I will actually.
2: I picked up my little copy so I can read a little piece of it. But I got to say, I just remembered I didn't answer the either the first or the second part of your question about why I kind of did it. Now I started writing this book before the global pandemic, and somehow, when when it occurred and when everything shut down, it made even more sense to me because this is a book uh, that espouse a stillness and the power of stillness. And where were we? We were being forced to be still. And I actually often think of the pandemic as like, like a global car crash the way I had a car crash and I had to figure things out and really pull myself back up. And that's what I hope that I can do with this book as well. So I hope it'll serve folks in creating a new kind of reality, a new kind of existence
1: Well, there's no question. And the word has been used many, many times over the last couple of years that, you know, there was some type of a reset and that could be extremely different for everybody. Uh, we are definitely not coming out of it the same people that we went into it. And so, you know, the timing of your book is probably profound. So let's get into that favorite section. It it really interests me what the favorite section of this, um, is for you.
2: I love verse nine and there's no other names to these verses. They're just numbered. And by the way, I, for my book for don't just say there, do nothing. I went through like dozens of translations and I put together my own kind of version of this, of the translation. I would take like a line from there, a line from here to give it a holistic picture because as you know, with old texts, the translations can differ.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and this is one that I like no matter which translation I'm reading. So verse nine In my favorite translation, that little pocketbook I mentioned, the first one I ever picked up, it says, fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity.
1: It's amazing how that was written would you say sixth century? Yeah, sixth century BC, sixth century BC, and it could have been written uh, two thousand and nineteen.
2: Yeah, I I think it's so funny that I guess human nature hasn't changed much in in hundreds and thousands of years.
1: Yeah, and and then so then how does this spill out into? Parenting. Now, is this so? We we talked about that. You know, you you picked up this book, and it was your inspiration. It was your your moving forward moment. But this may not be the same for your kids, right? But you can still go to the teachings. Do you show them the book, or are you just living the precepts of the book and letting them find their own pathway?
2: Oh yeah, I would never. um, I try not to force anything on my children. Uh, and there's a lot in the Tao that too. Like when you lead people, do not force is a chapter in my book based on the teachings. Uh, it's, it's a hard, that's a hard, of course, that's a hard thing to do as a parent, because we want to give our kids so much and we want to make sure their path is a good one. And the truth is we can't. I try to teach my children the power of Goodness, there's no real better way of putting it. A peace within yourself and how that affects what goes on in your life and in the world. And you know, they're just little kids. They're they're young. They're five and seven. And you know, perhaps one day, this was actually at the back of my mind too. One day when they're grown, this is not a book for children. uh, Perhaps, perhaps teenagers that are close to the being out of their teens, it, it could be appropriate for. But you know, I think one day they they might want to read my book. Maybe, maybe not. One day I will uh give them a few of my favorite self-help and spiritual books, including the Tao Te Ching. But right now I, dr- I just try to teach by example, by being good to myself and good to others, by admitting my mistakes. And I tell them that they what they think matters when one of my daughters is very hard on herself and i tell her you you can turn that around look at the the how far you've come in this endeavor look how how good you did instead of what you didn't do so i try to i try to gently teach them the power of their thoughts and the power of being good to yourself
1: and to others and do you read to them do you read to them from the dal not yet not yet not no. yet it's a little bit beyond what you think that they could comprehend
2: yes exactly and uh, what i do try is to create stillness with them and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but i they watch they know i meditate they know that if the door is closed then mommy's meditating you don't come in except my little one sometimes comes in i don't even notice and sits next to me and breathes as well is
1: meditation part of your practice for your own spirituality, or is it part of the Tao practice? It's part of my own practice. So the, the great thing about the Tao is there's nothing
2: that you have to do. Literally nothing. There's no, like, you don't have to not eat meat. You don't have to, you know, there's nothing. It's about connecting with your own truth and work. what works for you. And I know that stillness can be different for different people. Like my husband, he runs and it's a meditative practice for him. He tells me it is. And I believe, <laughs> I believe him, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think that it's stillness of the mind is what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah. Stillness of the mind, not necessarily stillness of the body. Exactly. Wonderful. Although some some stillness from our crazy running around kind of world is good too, in my opinion. We're just not programmed that way, are we? We're not hardwired for stillness.
2: Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I, at this point, am very good at it. I, I joke that I am an expert in doing nothing. I've been yeah, but is it doing
1: nothing time. or is it looking inward? They're they're different, right?
2: Of course, of course. That's why it's a joke. Of course, but I I am really good. Like I can light an incense and sit and watch that smoke rise for a half hour and be so content.
1: And that must have taken a bit of time for you to get into that the ability to have that stillness.
2: Yes, especially you know the Soviet Union was a very achievement based culture for children. From a very young age, when I came here, I was I was far beyond my peers in in my education, except for the English language, which I picked up pretty quickly because kids do. but it it was very achievement based and there was a lot of pressure. I was also a Soviet gymnast. <laughs> I was oh. scouted for gymnastics when I was young, so yes, a lot of lot of pressures, a lot of um, constant pushing for better. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a full circle for me to come around to just being, allowing myself to be, right? As we say, we're human beings, not human doings. Mm -hmm.
1: Are you ever there or is it a continual work in progress? Continual work
2: in progress. I mean, I'm there in moments. There are moments that um, everything opens up for me, but I think all of life is a work in progress. That's what I've understood. And I really... I talk about this in my book, but I also just talk about it. That there's, we're never there. Like any goal you put in front of yourself, right? We're getting close to the new year. It'll be New Year's resolutions, but whatever goal you put there, you're never there. Even when you achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve, you get there, and you're going to want something else because that's just that's human nature. That's the nature that the Tao wrote about. So if we understand that it's a constant process, I think it becomes easier.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So you're not looking for the end. You're looking for the process. Excellent. Everyone, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to continue talking with Jesse.
4: are stronger, stronger than you know. Don't give up now, the sun will soon be shining. What can do. It doesn't matter what you've heard. Impossible's not a word. It's just a reason for someone not to try. Everybody's scared to death when they decide to take that step on the water
0: You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Jessie Kanzer. She has a new book coming out called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, Healing Chilling and living with the Tao Te Ching. So I think you did a great job, Jesse. First half of really laying out the precepts of why you feel this book is something that people should experience, and and they're going to experience probably through your writing. So kudos on that. Uh, and you said something just as we were ending off the last segment and we we're talking about stillness. And you said that there are times when you do experience, now you didn't say the ultimate stillness, but I think you said everything opens up for you. What What does that mean?
2: Yes. Uh, I experience those moments of opening up when I get beyond myself. So there's the ego self, the me with my goals and my hopes and and worries and everything. And when I meditate and when I get still and when I have that perfect afternoon and the kids are not home and nobody needs anything from me and I can meditate for a longer period of time, I'm able to get into a space, not always, but I'm able to get into a space where I forget about myself for a little bit. I forget about my needs, my wants, my goals. And I'm I just am. And that's when things open when I say open up, I mean I am one with everything. And when when that happens, that's when I realize that everything is love, that the great force of the, the goodness of it all, that's when I connect with that oneness. And I forget about Jesse, Asia, and my kids and my husband and the dinner. And I, I just am. And in that amness or beingness or oneness, it's
1: it's just a real purity of existence. And is that in the midst of a meditative state? It's it happens
2: for me most easily now, yes, and when I meditate. And again, it's not frequent, but uh, I, I talk about it in the book. I say there there are moments, there are moments when you step through the gateway of all understanding. That that's something in the Tao as well, and that can happen during med- meditation. But it can happen, and it has happened for me on a beautiful hike in the midst of the pandemic. And, and then you realize how beautiful the trees are, how beautiful the forest is. And it was just, I've had moments like that in being fully awake and not, in the meditative state as well,
1: mm-hmm. in the present, really appreciating where you are in the present time. Exactly. I think that, and it's so hard for us to do because we always have to do this. We're always looking forward to what is happening next, planning, planning, planning. And I guess you know that is life, right? But there's got to be a balance, and uh, it sounds like you're the perfect person to. Explain that balance. You've done the journey. Now, the book is divided into three segments, right? Identity, awareness and creation. And is that a, a parallel to the Tao Te Ching, or is this the, no. unique to your book? Yes, this is unique to my book. Now, there are scholars that say
2: that Dow was divided once upon a time, because, again, sixth century BC, long time ago. Uh, and then somebody else put it together so that it could be more analytical. So I'm not really sure who knows how it started out. There are scholars that say it was divided into sections. But at this point, it's just 81 verses that that go you know straight one, two, three, four and so on. Whereas my book, I didn't, I'm didn't. i not using all the verses of the Tao. Some of them are repetitive in that, and it's great messages, but some of them are for a modern book. I want this book to be also fun. As I, as I just told you during break, um, I want this book to be accessible to our modern lives and, and a fun read. A lot of the spiritual and self-help books that I've read get very serious. And we often forget that enlightenment is lightening up. It's, it's being able to laugh at ourselves, laugh at our mistakes, laugh at our journeys. And so I thought it was more palatable to, first of all, use my favorite, not all 81, but my favorite verses of the Tao, I use 47, and to divide them into sections so that we have some understanding. So when you read the identity section, you understand that you're dealing with the who am I question, which is a question I also often deal with and dealt with. And it's about realizing that we are more than the limitations that we set on ourselves, that society sets on us. So the, that's the identity section. The awareness section is understanding the flow of energy in the world and how being aware, being, oh, actually to me, awareness is the great superpower. When you understand how things work, why people react the way they do, why your thoughts are important, why every action has a reaction or how that happens. So awareness is a more bigger, it's kind of getting that bigger understanding of how things work and of the energy flow in our lives. And then creation is using all of our understanding to actually create the life that we want to create. You
1: you talk about trying to make a modern day book, and that's completely relevant because for a lot of people, uh, something sixth century B.C. would be almost untouchable, something they wouldn't go toward. So the bridge between that and what you're doing and making this a modern day fit, I think, is genius. Is there a favorite part of your book, something that stands out to you that you'd like to share? I
2: actually don't have any favorites. That's the truth. I love the different parts of them. And also sometimes I'm like, oh, I wrote it. Why should I look at it? But then whenever here's the full truth. And this is not me like, you know, showing off. And the truth is when I start to read it, I love it again. I love the story. I love the insight I got from it. Um, But I do specifically love the funnier parts, because, again, we often forget that, you know, enlightenment and spirituality can be light and can be funny. And it is about laughing at ourselves. And so uh, I love a part. I I love this one chapter, the one I particularly like to share. It's called humiliating love story. And I was what some therapists might consider a love addict in my youth. uh, And I was not good at understanding how to navigate relationships or, or, or anything really at the time. So the, the, that's one of my favorite chapters because I like poking fun at myself.
1: And is there a, a, like a snippet you could give to us?
2: Yes, absolutely. I, I'll, um, I'll read a little piece. I won't give everything away, <laughs> but this is, this is from a section within hum- Humiliating Love Story that's called Playing the Fool. This great downfall began like any ordinary romance might in a cramped massage parlor in Manhattan, where unbeknownst to me, the masseuse pulled back the curtain to show Nick my body splayed out on her table. We were both in our twenties. I a chatty actress waitress renting a squalid room on the Upper East Side. He a charming stoner who installed audio equipment and lived directly across the street. Almost instantly. I believed we were meant to be. I don't fall in love quickly, he warned me in a dark bar one night. Is that okay?" Yeah, sure, I answered, feeling the familiar rush of dopamine. I did plan to act normal with Nick. I really did. But here's the rub. He was a serial dater, as his friends called him, and I was a love addict. The minute he began to pull away, I wrote him poetry. One night after he dumped me, my girlfriend, Carolyn, drunkenly threw bagels at his head in a corner bodega, screaming, leave her alone, just leave her alone. It was like a scene from All My Children, which was the soap opera my my grandma and I watched to learn English two decades prior. I penned apologetic soliloquies to Nick afterward, and we occasionally hooked up on his cigarette burnt couch. So I'm not going to keep going, but this story does not end well for me. I don't know what happened
1: to Nick, but
2: it was a lesson. <laughs> That's was, okay, I, we know
1: what's happened to you. That's right, all that the story right. needs to hold, right?
2: <laughs> right, but um, it was a it was a one of my last big lessons in love before I took a break and connected back to myself and met my husband, who was a great match for me.
1: Is it fair to say that your writings, in tandem with the Tao? is an invitation to change as opposed to a path of how to do it?
2: Yes, it's an invitation. I like to think of it as an invitation to look at ourselves, to change our perception. Uh, is the, you know, there's a quote from Wayne Dyer, the spiritual teacher that says, change your thoughts, change your life. It's it's an invitation to shift the way we look at our lives and ourselves because like, I share all my humiliating mistakes and the way I groveled with Nick as an example, so that other people don't look at themselves so harshly. We've all played the fool, you know? And I just, I think it's an, I think that by sharing my vulnerabilities, I allow others to embrace their own because with every fall, comes a gift, but we need to, we need to embrace the fall and we need to actually
1: excavate the gift. And so that's what this is an invitation to do. That's very nicely put. So what's next, Jesse, you've written the book. Now you're going to be, you know, on tour with it and so forth, but is there something in the, you know, on the back burner that you're working on? Yes and no, <laughs> <laughs> something yes, not to talk about right now. But there's no, stuff going no, on. It's,
2: it's, no, no. It's nothing like that. I just don't quite know yet. And I've learned the creative process is very much also like a spiritual journey. I've learned not to rush it. That's all. Like Do you I, like writing. I, I, yes, yeah. I love writing. Yes, yeah. I think writing, and in fact, I encourage people to write. If if you're going through stuff, write just for yourself. Uh, I encourage people to journal because it doesn't have to be. So, so much of what I write doesn't get published. Before I wrote this book, I I would write essays that ended up in the New York Times, the LA Times, Washington Post, and that was great. But for every essay that was published, there's plenty of stuff that did not get published. So, I like to just write into the ether sometimes because that's also healing and transformative. The process of expressing your thoughts is transformative. So... I think something might be the kernel of a next book, but I'm just not quite sure yet.
1: Would you follow along the same pathway? I mean, I'm just very interested in the creative process. Do you follow along the same pathway or could your next book be a romance novel and the Swiss Alps?
2: I wish. No, unfortunately. (laughs) My brain doesn't work like that. So I really believe this is another thing I learned with the Tao and, and other teachings that, you know, this I tried. So I tried at one point, I tried to write a memoir. Because I thought it would be interesting. And this is a time where immigrant stories are being more welcomed. And, uh, you know, I have interesting stories from my family. I include them here, too. in, in, in don't just sit there, do nothing. But I thought a memoir, an immigration memoir, and there's a lot of stories that happen on route. And it was as I started writing it, what I realized is, hey, this is not my genre because it felt and I'm not saying it was bad you know, my my husband read some of it and he thought it was really good but the but the point was it felt like pushing a rock up a hill hmm. and i at this point in my life i veer away from anything that feels like that i really believe that my um calling is within me and i know when i'm uh, when i'm working in accordance to my calling when it feels good that's not to say i didn't work hard there were points where i had to work hard and there i had there were Uh, You know, timelines and there were definitely moments of, you know, annoyance, but it has to overall feel good. And this is the genre I love philosophy and spirituality and the search for meaning. So I think I will be in that genre probably forever.
1: Are you acting still or is that a past life? A past
2: life, a past life. But funny enough, I sometimes imagine myself on set
1: once again. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. You miss that kind of life or just a challenge? Um, I I loved the
2: whole process of it, the whole life. I do not miss it at all. The life of auditioning nonstop and comparing yourself constantly. And uh, no, I do not miss that life. But but being on set was fun once in a while when that did happen. That was a fun occurrence.
1: Okay, so when does this book come out? Like, I'm dying to get a copy of it. I've read little snippets, but I've, I'm dying to get a copy of it. It just sounds like something that is so applicable to people. And when are, when do we get to see it?
2: Sure. So it's available for pre-order. It's available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop. Um, and my website is J e s s i e k a n z e r. J-E-S-S-I-E-K-A-N-Z-E-R.com. So if anybody's interested, I also... Uh, anyone who signs up, I give bonus chapters too. There's some chapters that didn't fit into the book okay. because we don't want to make it crazy long, so there's bonus chapters as well. The book itself, though, will be out March 1st. And that is actually the first day of Women's History Month, which I loved the congruence of that because I, this is the first book of a woman looking at the Tao Te Ching from the point of view of a woman and a modern female life. So there's a little bit, I, you know, it's not that it's about feminism, but there's a little bit, the Tao has been dissected by so many men in history. I just, I'm happy to be a woman doing it.
1: And congratulations. As I said, people who write books, publish books, I think it's just a, it's a talent that eludes me. It's just something that uh, I would you know, it's just, it's not there for me. So congratulations on the book, Jesse. Um, so I'm sure the success of it will be beyond your wildest dreams. And I want to thank you so much. I know it's a busy time. You're promoting the book and I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to come to the health hub and be with us.
2: I'm so happy to, to chat with you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Jesse and everybody. We will talk to you next week on the health hub.